from the social minute looking at the film seven in seven awkwardly cut up pieces i am your host darren and today i have two guests first of all i have eric hello eric returning guest uh, hey guys uh, i'm glad to be here and my other guest is robert hello robert hello good morning we are covering the period that goes from 1621 to 4553 if you are watching this on pal or if you are american uh 1708 to 4743 um, we are going from uh, the start of the discovery of greed uh, all the way through to the fingerprints being traced for us to find um, uh, sloth. Is it what is it? Sloth. That's it. I should I should remember. <laughs> um, and we start with um, uh, kind of the, the the press conference that's taken place in the lobby of Elliot Gould's um, apartment. Um, Mills kind of um, seeing himself announced as the best man on the particular job, which I, I kind of like as a moment. Um, and then we see the kind of the greed in blood on the carpet. Um, and we see the blood on the eyes on the picture, which obviously takes a little while before we figure out what that's all about. Um, you know, we, we have a bit of a story from Somerset, which leads then to, um, you know, them Somerset going back to Gluttony's house. Um, and then we get kind of the, I would say maybe kind of like the, the big scene in the film, which is the listing of the sins. Um, and a wonderful moment where a phone rings and Arlie Ermey says, this isn't even my desk. <laughs> and, just, and just hangs the phone up straight away, uh, which is probably uh, like just, I don't know, one of my favorite little moments in the entire film from Arlie Ermey. Um, and then, of course, we see Somerset going off to do some photocopying at the world's most uh, well-maintained library, uh, which has, I counted like, I don't know, what, 16, 17 security guards all there <laughs> being paid full time at night for no particular reason. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, kind of the, a wonderful little moment, which I meant nothing to me as an Englishman back in 1996, uh, which is when some cliff notes get dropped off um, to uh, to to Brad Pitt. Um, and then obviously there is the invitation for the, you know, for the, the dinner. Um, and that kind of parallels with more kind of, you know, a little bit more kind of detective work, um, talk about the pound of flesh. And then obviously we find out about the painting. And the wonderful scene with the luminol as the the help me is revealed and and Brad Pitt, uh, I don't know, he gives this kind of wonderful nervous performance throughout the whole film. But I just love his kind of reaction to the whole like fingerprint um, on the wall. Um, And then we cut to, you know, um, fingerprints being run, which, you know, is something that I think had rarely been seen in films. You know, obviously since the introduction of CSI and various other um, you know, forensic type programs. Uh, it's kind of a common thing these days for people to get fingerprints run in like 30 seconds. But here, you know, the guy says it might take two days and then we have a tiny bit of conversation in the hallway um, before we we end our part of the film. Um, and I should say as well, we get the title card at the start telling us that it is Tuesday. 
Um, something which feels kind of weird because if like in the earlier version of the script, the whole kind of days of the week thing seemed to tie a bit more into the sins and the fact that it was seven days and seven sins and, you know, that seemed to have a bit more meaning. But in the finished film, it's kind of a little less important, but they still kind of keep the title cards just to give you an idea of where we are, I guess, you know, for Somerset's retirement uh, more than anything else. Um, so what are your thoughts on this particular part of the film? And I will start with uh, Robert. Um, on the whole part, because I have it broken down. Like first thing I have is about the headlines on the newspapers because they're ridiculous. Okay, go for the go for the headlines. <laughs> um, I I hadn't read the headlines. Yeah, because the extra headlines they made on their fake newspapers are like studies dispute breast implant safety. That's normal, you know. Um, yeah. Then they got the the ones about the ki- the new case. Defense attorney found murdered. But the best ones are neighbor's beagle scares teen, cures eight year bout with hiccups. <laughs> And housekeeper held hostage by child's possessed gerbil. Three days of terror. <laughs> I, that feels like somebody in the because obviously the production on this, the production design on this thing was not accidental. You know, they spent two months making hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. So I, that feels like somebody having a bit of fun. Yeah, because um, you either buy those, those prop newspapers that everyone uses, or you make your own. Yeah. And if you're making your own, you're putting specific things on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what are your thoughts more generally on this this kind of stretch of the movie? The kind of you know how we are, how we get from because obviously within the film you know the one murder which was gluttony has been assigned to Somerset, and then this new murder which obviously is revealed to be greed is assigned to Mills, and you know they've had an argument about how you know they, they gluttony isn't going to be connected to Mills. And obviously this, you know, greed is being handled by, as it says on the news, you know, the best men. And it's kind of interesting that just by coincidence, they each get one of the, <laughs> these murders. It's it's something that I'm willing to overlook in the script because, like, it's, it feels like kind of the most coincidental thing in the film. Yeah, uh, it's the big like, setup. Yeah, but it, it kind of at least then keeps the two detectives tied together on what effectively turns into the same case. Um, you know, after the kind of fight they had where, you know, Somerset was like, he can't have the gluttony murder. <laughs> and it's like, you know, okay, you know, but then he gets this this kind of almost bigger case, basically, where, you know, Eli Gould is this kind of prominent lawyer. And, you know, we've got uh, Shaft giving a, a press conference. <laughs> um, you know, it feels like this is more important than the gluttony. Like, this feels like more of a high pressure case than the gluttony one. I would have given the gluttony one to Mills, quite frankly, and I'd have given this one to Somerset. But... Um, you know, it's a kind of weird coincidence that just it, that they end up basically working on the same like same case, you know, like the same murders. Yeah, it's 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 especially more of a big coincidence in the film's version because it's doing that one week, seven days like gluttony was yesterday in the movie. And so it's a bigger coincidence that they get this. If you look yeah. at the props for like the crime photos, that is not the setup in the props like gluttony was killed in June and we're in mid-July agreed on the the, pro, the prop photos and so the either the prop photo got that wrong uh, yeah. even the script i think talks about it being a week or even having only a few days left for somerset's like leaving so yeah it's a huge coincidence but you kind of just let it happen because if it if we didn't have the coincidence we don't get the movie yeah i think you can let most films get away with mm-hmm. one coincidence um it's when they start trying four or five where you're like no this doesn't make any sense anymore <laughs> we've gone past the bounds of reason well it's it's like um orson scott card had this line about science fiction where you can make the audience swallow one porcupine but you can't make them swallow two 
And so you can have one huge thing yeah. that is outlandish, but it's when you get to a second that it's like, uh, you got to have a, our, you have to have us with you by then. And which the end of the movie could be that too. But by then we're, we're involved. We're, we like these people. We want to see what happens. Um, well, so I, I feel like, you know, this, this section of the movie, this greed, uh, greed section, you know, it is spanning over two days itself. So we're, we're already getting, we're very much getting away from, oh, one, one sin, one day, um, each. And, and they do get jumbled up, uh, get, get, uh, uh, couple pairs close in together, you know, in the latter half of the movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm awfully good with it. I, I have heart really no, no issues with, uh, how the, uh, you know, because it's because on the first on the first one for gluttony, we don't even know it's gluttony until, you know, essentially right around that same time here that that, that we see the word greed on the floor. We don't see the word gluttony yeah. behind the fridge until I'm pretty sure just a little yeah. after that. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's it's after they've had the conversation where they the guy is doing the the scraping yeah. off of the sign on Somerset's right, yeah. door. <laughs> Um, and then he goes to, and then they, they, then he gets the thing about, you know, like this, this was in the, the stomach contents. And then he, then he goes to Gluttony's house. Uh, it's worth saying that was actually earlier yeah. in the script. So Somerset and Mills actually both went mm-hmm. to Gluttony's house and found, and kind of moved the fridge. And so all of that actually happened before greed, ha- like kind of was discovered. So it actually kind of played in a certain order. And, um, it's also worth saying later on in the script, um, pride and lust with the other way round as well. Mm. So this, you know, there was a slight, there was a slight bit of change in and, and stuff like that, you know, to do with the the script. I think the funniest thing is um, when Somerset goes to, um, uh, he goes to Gluttony's home, um, and obviously he gets in using his trusty, um, his trusty f- um, like uh, switchblade, which is which comes up later on when he takes it out, like you know, next to Brad Pitt and just like kind of, and, and he's <laughs> like, what, what is that, like. Um, so there's like a kind of there's a, 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 and obviously he'll also throw it at his dartboards. The weird thing is that never kind of pays off. It's not like he throws it at um, at uh, John Doe right. to stop him from doing something, or like it doesn't it doesn't come into play in any way. But he uses it here to kind of kind of get back into Gluttony's home because it's been sealed. But the weirdest thing in the world is it's been sealed right. from the inside, <laughs> and so. And so the the please keep out like little sticker has been put over the inside of the door. So he kind of slits it, and then the door opens, and then he comes in, and it's like, wait there, was that? Like, it's only on screen for like a couple of seconds, but it's it's one of those things where when you watch the film multiple times, you're like, who put that sticker that way? Like, was it the was it the guy who you know Brad Pitt was yelling at and calling Barney Fife, and he's and he's so incompetent he's put the sticker on the wrong side of the door, and he, he just thought to himself as he's closing yeah. the door. Oh, don't worry about it. No one will notice. Go out the window. Uh, yeah, he's like, he's like, it's too late now. I've sealed the crime scene. I'm just gonna have to. I'm just gonna have to leg out out the back, um, and hope that nobody ever ever comes back here or notices. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I find it interesting that obviously, um, you know, like the kind of the discovery, like the the kind of the the things that are in the the like little bits of wood or plastic, whatever that are in the stomach contents that lead. Um, you know, Somerset back to the fridge to, you know, move the fridge and find the note and see, you know, sloth written in grease and all of that kind of stuff. Um, again, that could be seen as a bit of a kind of jump. Um, but because we've already had Somerset as this very kind of calm and considered, 
like detective who clearly is, you know is very methodical and even you know all the way back in like the opening scene everybody's like we'll be glad to get rid of you because you're too good <laughs> of a detective somerset um is there like sentiment that they keep expressing to him um so it's 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 kind of funny that he like he, you know he's set up as the guy who just notices things and so these kind of you know these these shards of um of plastic or whatever they kind of set him off um but it's interesting that john doe is relying on the police being competent um as like a step in his plan uh but like i say like you kind of take that because you know that that kind of works just for Somerset's character at this point. They've established that he is, you know, um, a kind of an extra detective. He is somebody who will find that kind of thing. Um, although I would say it, that, like, the, the, like feeding that to Gluttony doesn't even really rely on Somerset finding it. But you know, I could argue that, you know, some of whoever was at the scene when they began to kind of check the scene once they'd moved the body, I would have expected maybe they would have moved the the fridge at some point just to see if there was anything behind there or you know, like. It would be. I would think that once they start to go through the scene a bit more thoroughly, they would have found that note anyway. Eventually, yeah. well, um, it's just a coincidence that you know Somerset manages to find it this quick. And and a, and a part um, of yeah. I think police crime solving ought to be, you know, it, you know, in in the home of a murder victim, move all the furniture around, right, <laughs> including including appliances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Look behind everything, yeah, you know, just, and fingerprint behind it. You know, why, why not? Why not fingerprint behind everything too, which we get at the end of this. That's yeah, and I think I think the thing is kind of that the the jump that you have to go with for Somerset, find you know, using those shards to to find the note. Um, it also helps you when you know we get to the picture and it's like, oh well, you know, behind the picture, and you know, again, that's that's when he gets the switchblade back out yeah. again and kind of rips it open, and then it's like. Well, if it's not the painting, it's something behind the painting, and that's when they, you know, he starts kind of doing a bit of fingerprinting with the the dust, and then you know we get the the. the I mean, it's probably one of my favorite little shots, but just the close up of the luminescent yeah. being sprayed, and the ultraviolet and everything. Like it's such a kind of it's such a like really David Fincher kind of shot to be so close on this Lumisol and then come back out and then get the kind of you know you don't see it straight away, but you just see Brad Pitt and. Um, you know Morgan Freeman's kind of reaction to it, and then you get the "Help Me" on the wall, and it's such a, a kind of an amazing shot. Uh, Howard Shaw's music kind of really helps set the mood as well because it's so kind of ominous that you're like, you know, all it is is like some someone who scraped some fingerprints on a wall. But the the way that the music sets it up, it's like as it turns to reveal it, you're like, well, this this has got you know this means something kind of um, big. Um, although of course everybody ignores the fact that it says "Help Me" to then in the next scene kind of make out like this is the murderer and it and that seems like a bit of a big jump to me as well it's like would the murderer really have put help me on the wall like that it seems like if he's going to the trouble of using his fingerprints for that he would have kind of made the message a bit different but you know Ali Ermey is not the uh, the most intelligent of the the police officers in this film he's the he's the one who's just very bullish and I think that they're you know John Doe's using this other person's fingerprints he's not using his own fingerprints um He's using this other person's fingerprints and re, you know telling the guy's message that he, that he wants help. His other victim. His, you know. Well, maybe. Or also John yeah. Doe needs their help to preach. He needs them to be competent cops. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm imagining yeah. now the version of this story where they don't, like each of these cases gets assigned to different detectives because no one connects them because they're all incompetent. 
Does John Doe still <laughs> just show up and be like, okay, all of you detectives come here. You're all connected. Yes, explain it to them. He, ha- he has to get he has to get like a shift pattern and figure out when they're all working <laughs> so he can walk in at just the right moment and catch all of them. Because if he goes in one day too early, one of them's off shift and the other one doesn't start until the night and... Yeah, that's the funny thing. Yeah, if it wasn't if it wasn't for the connection happening so quickly, there would be like five <laughs> different detectives in this story, which is a which is a version of the film I would love to see. In fact, you know, if if somebody had been competent enough to do kind of a parody of this film quickly enough, that is the twist they would have done is just have all these like seven different detectives trying to figure out these different crimes, not realizing they're all connected to a serial killer. Well, and, and John um, Doe could do it in a uh, clue like fashion. <laughs> You know, yeah, running around, you know, explaining, de- describing. He'd have to the, mail them yeah. copies of <laughs> yeah. all the ways of going, Divine <laughs> Comedy just to make sure they get it. Yeah, going going to each crime scene with like a, a video recorder and just being like, "This is how I did this crime and why I did it." Look, let's, you know, like, uh, yeah. So, but I mean, let's talk a little bit about you know, uh, well, first of all, the fact that we get Shaft, which is wonderful <laughs> to have Richard Rantry here. Uh, doing this little kind of press conference as the DA. There are a lot of people who have kind of small roles in this film. You know, later on, John C. McGinley and uh, Mark Boone Jr. Um, you know, generally seems to be people <laughs> with three names. Um, obviously, uh, Leland also is, you know, like the, the remaining person after the whole lust thing. Uh, so, like, there's a lot of people who kind of appear in one scene. Uh, Reggie Cathy as well was obviously in the, the previous stuff with Gluttony. Um, but... This the, Richard Roundtree will return later on in the film, um, so setting him up here is actually quite an important step because, you know, once we actually get John Doe, uh, you know, walking into the police station and trying to set up his deal with again a one scene wonder Richard Schiff, um, it, it, the fact that we've already seen him as the district attorney here is kind of is just a nice little setup for the fact that when he comes back at the end, he's the one who, you know, makes the deal and kind of forces them to, um, you know, ride out with uh, John Doe. So I, I think uh, you know again it's something that David Fincher, you know, kind of does in a lot of his films you know kind of just set things up naturally um and i i mean it's weird because everyone seems to have got to this murder scene pretty quick <laughs> like um you know it's it's already in the headlines and it's already on tv and there's you know it, like it seems to be fairly big news um you know which i guess is a bit heartening because you know you know the rate i would say like you know in some cities the rate of murder is so high that you know, not every single murder would would have a press conference from the DA plus, you know, a rolling news coverage, um, you know. And, of course, to show that Eli Gould is um, super wealthy, he has two televisions uh, right <laughs> next to each other um, for some reason. I, I mean, I, I don't even know what the point of that would be to have two te- like. I don't get I don't, I don't understand that setup. It's a nice production detail because it allows Brad Pitt to stand yeah. between them. Um, but it's. It's just a weird thing where it's like, who has two televisions that close to each other in the same room? Like, I could understand if he has one in one room, one in another room, like, you know, one in the bedroom, one in the study, whatever. Like, it, But just to have them right next to each other is such a, a weird kind of uh, detail. Um, but, I mean, I do love the just the reveal of, like, you know, we get this kind of build-up of, you know, this person's been murdered. We've got the DA giving a press, press conference because he's that important. You know, the news report already telling us that they have the very best men on this. And then the reveal of, in the carpet, written in blood, greed. And it's such a wonderful kind of shot. And there's, a, like, Howard Shaw has kind of, like, uh, this kind of... Uh, I would I like most of the score is just kind of you know ominous music, but there's kind of like a, a kind of you know a kind of hit at just as you see the word greed, and it's like oh yeah like <laughs> you know the, obviously if you already know the premise of the film you're kind of waiting for the sins to kind of be ticked off, 
And this is kind of the first time, obviously, because we don't get gluttony until, you know, kind of after this. But just that reveal of, you know, there was enough blood from this body, um, you know, and we don't see the body in situ. You know, there's just kind of like, you know, indentations of where it was. And then just the word greed. And it's it's such a wonder because like, you know, it's this film doesn't I mean, it's not hugely like there's not like a ton of like, you know, blood and everything like it's not it's not kind of. Uh, very gory but just that kind of detail of just you know there being enough blood to write greed in the carpet in what looks like fairly large letters as well like you know easy enough that it'd be spotted by any detective basically um and it and it's it's kind of it's like such a wonderful shot as well like just the composition of everything is just is so well put together just in that that reveal of like because uh, you know as a viewer you're like finally we get we you know we're, we're getting a sin <laughs> you know like we're finally being told explicitly that this is this is greed and that's the crime scene we're in and, and i get i get nervous in all the repeated viewings i've had of him walking around so close right <laughs> right upon the immediate area of the actual crime parts of the crime the uh, writing they make it clear though that they like we don't we don't see greed apart from um you know some pictures that are shown to mrs gould later on and also like a just a polaroid of him on his knees with the like the, the stomach so i think you know as as much like forensic evidence as they're going to take I, I i think he's okay to kind of walk around where it says greed because uh, i think they're fairly certain that's eli gould's blood that's there and nobody else's so there's there's a little danger of him really kind of making a mess of the crime scene. But yeah, that is something that Mills does a lot though. He did it in the gluttony scene as well, where he was like going underneath the table to uh-huh. for some reason he couldn't smell the vomit from more than two inches away from it. Um and then he kind of goes backwards and starts knocking stuff as well, and that's kind of the moment where Somerset's like, go outside and canvas the neighborhood, <laughs> stop stop breaking everything in this crime scene. Um so it it I him kind of you know bumping around in crime scenes is kind of a, a kind of a, a, a thing that just happens throughout the film as well uh, as obviously as a contrast to Somerset who is uh, extremely careful even when he goes back to um you know to gluttony you know he's very very careful to to kind of make sure I I love this crime scene especially because it's shown so briefly in the film that you don't necessarily notice details that come up later you when they go this this aerial shot not arrow because it's in the room, but the shot from above, you can see the scales lined up with the the blood, lined up with the stack of law books, lined up with. There's a cushion on the floor from a chair. Like he let him kneel on a cushion to like make it easier for him to last longer to cut himself. Which is and on the earlier close up of the stack of law books too, the books have blood inside them. Like they're inside the cover. Like he made them, he made him pull out his law books and read from them while doing this. And I'm like, that is serious detail. We don't get to learn later. It's like, if you see it, you see it. I'm like, slowing it down for this was great. Uh, there is obviously then also, um, I think, I mean, obviously it's a, a little bit more, um, I would say kind of less explicit, but there is the undertone. Obviously, Eli Gould is, you know, clearly Jewish. And the whole pound of flesh thing is clearly a kind of Shakespearean reference to Merchant of Venice. Um, but I like that they don't kind of they don't kind of really push that too hard. Like they, there's a discussion later on about, you know, having yeah. the pound of flesh and all that. But the, they don't really explicitly say that it was, you know, probably Eli Gould being Jewish was probably the reason why um, John Doe picked him. Um, or they don't really kind of get into whether or not that was his motivation. But it, it feels like that's something... I mean, in the kind of the the expanded version of the script, there is kind of a little... I mean, he's named Eli Gold in the script, which yeah. I feel makes it even more explicit. 
Um, I mean, even Gould, you know, it's not hard to figure out what's going on there. But yeah, the fact that he's a lawyer and he's Jewish and they, they make reference to the pound of flesh. Like if, if I, what I like is that the film doesn't really kind of nobody explicitly goes, oh, yes, Shakespeare, the Merchant of Venice. Like it's not it's not really a thing that's ever kind of quoted. But, you know, if you know if you know the reference, it's kind of it's kind of there. It's also it's actually a reference they might have trouble doing explicitly, because if he's copying Merchant of Venice explicitly, he can't drop all this blood. <laughs> That's the whole point of what Porsche's no. argument is you yeah. can't cut him and take blood and everything else. You can only take flesh. So it doesn't quite fit. <laughs> yeah. I would love I would love that if that was like if we got to see the actual scene where Eli Gould is kneeling and he's like, Look, did you not do Shakespeare at school? <laughs> you, you can't spell any blood, that's the whole point. And he's like, Yeah, I'm a crazed serial killer. Let's start cutting. <laughs> I'm like I'm I'm not I'm not like a literary expert. I'm somebody who's just crazy. So you know, we're not here to do, you know, like hand in an essay or anything. That's why he so got out the law books Was to see to find flesh yeah. legally. Come on. <laughs> yeah so but i yeah I, I mean that's just there as kind of like an undertone it's not really anything that's that explicit apart from later on where we do get the conversation about like you know a pound of flesh um uh, but the weird thing is like the whole that isn't even that's not really a religious thing either so no it's i mean it's kind of weird that they go there but it does it, i mean it does kind of make sense um you know there is i mean my favorite thing my favorite thing probably in the entire film is when they they get to pride and he's like you know she cut off her nose and then someone else goes to spite her face and it's like oh my lord that's that's kind of like lethal weapon style kind of quippery <laughs> um you know like it it feels that that feels like something left over from a, a much earlier draft i mean something that in the script is kind of labored over a bit more is the whole kind of um you know the the blood on the eyes of the the picture with the wife um there's a whole there's a whole section that was cut out which involves people going to a jazz club, um, you know, uh, and then also talking to a guy called William McCracken, who is the artist who did the painting that turns out to be where the fingerprints are, and also did another painting. And there's and you know and he does paintings of sins and all this kind of. There's like a whole thing that they kind of cut out of the script. Um, you know, and then there's even some stuff about, you know, Somerset when he's doing his photocopy and he just kind of ends up dropping it off as one small envelope. Um, but in the script, there's a lot more of him kind of going to the apartment and dropping off these books to Tracy and all this kind of stuff. But obviously they sensibly in the film, they save the introduction of, um, you know, Tracy and Somerset uh, until they actually have the dinner. Um, you know, which gives us our first opportunity for Brad Pitt to eat food in a film, um, which obviously is his trademark. Uh, I disappointed that there wasn't. I mean, earlier he only brought a cup of coffee, so I'm I'm disappointed he didn't have like. If that felt like that would have been a good point to have like a donut for him to be kind of chewing on through the whole gluttony scene. But I I mean the the kind of listening of the sins is probably one of my favorite things in this entire um, film. And something that in the in the script they actually return to after every single sin, someone crosses off one of the sins <laughs> as oh. they happen, um, almost as if the viewer wouldn't remember which sins have taken place. Um, so I kind of love that we get this. We only get this chalkboard, I think, twice, but we get we get obviously with um, you know gluttony and, and greed already crossed off, and then you know sloth, wrath, pride, lust, envy. You know that you know Somerset lists them in a, in a, a kind of a weird um, um, you know kind of order. And noticeably, when he says envy, he's holding a like a I think it's a photograph or something, and he 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 moves so that the photograph covers the top of um, Brad Pitt's head, oh. um, just huh. as he says envy. Wow. So, <laughs> so yes, that is something that happens more than once in this film. When people say the word envy or wrath, it, the, Brad Pitt's head happens to get kind of covered, or someone stands in the way of Brad Pitt's head, or he goes slightly out of frame. 
Um, so it's it's kind of like a little thing that just happens a few times in the film. Um, but yeah, and then we get the wonderful, I mean, probably one of the, my favorite moments in this film, just Ali Ermi being like, <laughs> this isn't even my desk. And <laughs> it's kind of weird because, like, I'm, I'm thinking, what does the person on the other end of that phone call think is happening? Like, when, when all of a sudden the captain picks up and is like, it's not my desk, hangs up. <laughs> if I was the person on the other end of that phone, I'd be like, what just, like, what's just gone on with it? Like, I was trying to call someone and... You know, uh, something that I think, you know, if this film was made a few years later, obviously everyone would have mobile phones and that we wouldn't be able to get that wonderful moment, uh, you know, without a landline. Um, so what do you think of the the listing of the sin? Yeah, I, I, it, it is important for those of us that didn't. I mean, yeah, you know, because I, cause I, I, still, I still have a little hard time on getting through all seven. I mean, I, I can get through the drawers better than I can the sins, unfortunately. Uh, but um, it, it is it is important. I mean, you know, it's it's Brad Pitt's character. I mean, who who's to say he's not Catholic, you know, and then you know isn't isn't quite as aware. I mean, he obviously isn't very aware of as we go on here with the cliff notes needing the cliff notes and so forth, which uh, which uh, I certainly admit uh, to using once or twice in college myself. But um, but uh, yeah, these it's I I think it's uh, you know it's. It's it's a weird thing that he does it you know by hand. We don't get that uh, written down just yet. He's just kind of like listing yeah. off the top of his head. He's like he's like he's like I'm I'm better than you. I know the yeah, the, right. the, the, the the seven deadly sins. It's worth saying that actually the the, the seven deadly sins are seven of twenty one sins um, that are listed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, not quite twenty one. I think it's twenty because um, I'm trying to remember. But there's like the eternal sins. Um, which are also known as the unforgivable sins or unpardonable sins, uh, which are the sins that will not be forgiven by God. The d- deadly sins will be forgiven by God. Um, these are sins against the Holy Spirit, which are uh, despair, presumption, envying the goodness of another, which is a weird kind of uh, obstinacy in sin, uh, final impertinence, which is um, to end, which is to die without, um, you know, confessing your sins. Um, and impugning the known truth, uh, which is basically uh, arguing against the Christian faith. Uh, and then there are also sins that are known as um, the, 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 cry, the cry to heaven, <laughs> which, which are all kind of older ones, uh, which kind of appear, um, I think, in the, the first few books. And then they were kind of canonized by um, Pope John Paul II. Um, uh, one of which is uh, abortion. So there's some other ones in there, you know, the, the sins of the sodomites, um, you know, the injustice of the wage earner. Is a, I mean, there's a whole bunch of extra sins, basically, that I just don't think would have been as compelling in a film. Um, you know, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, I would have loved to, to see someone kind of being killed for the final in, in, in penitence, which is, you know, that would have just been an, an amusing sin. Um but yeah, like even the the seven deadly sins are also known as like the cardinal sins, or in one in one case they're they're, they're classified as the seven traits of man, mm. which I feel feel is kind of um, more damning, um, and they're kind of they're known for um, you know uh, kind of coming up um, more through kind of um, Bible writings than actually in the Bible, like people writing about the Bible kind of came up with these sins. They don't really kind of fall into um you know the the actual, any kind of passages in the bible um you know and you know as with a lot of stuff from the bible they were mostly used to attempt to control people um uh, although the, there was t- there were two sins that you know were more popular but they have been kind of dropped as the years have gone by uh which was uh, acedia 
uh, which means without care, uh, which is, you know, to neglect to take care of someone. Um, uh, kind of apathetic listlessness is how it's kind of described, <laughs> or vainglory, uh, otherwise known as vanity, uh, which was then kind of, you know, it was seen as being separate from um, from envy because this was more kind of boasting, um, which, you know, kind of around the 14th century, they kind of dropped it as a sin. So this could have been called nine instead of seven, but... Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, nobody made this film in, you know, I don't know, like uh, 1392 or whatever. <laughs> so uh, those have been dropped. Um, but yeah, and, th- and then we get, I mean, um, your thoughts, Robert, on the listing of the sins? Well, it, you need this scene because uh, you need this sort of like countdown of what's coming. But I actually, this made me think of the marketing they did for this movie at the time, because I remember that in Los Angeles Times... They not only had their like full page ad for the movie and showing like what theaters it was playing at, they would have seven smaller ads that all they were is the name of the sin in big letters like written and then little tally marks of seven at the bottom. So it didn't even say the name of the movie. You just had to know what tally marks mean and put it together. And I cut those seven things out and I had them on my wall for years (laughs) along with like movie posters and other stuff. They were like just scattered around my wall. But it was a great little thing of like, if you're just flipping through the thing and see gluttony and you're like, what the hell is this? If you haven't seen a trailer, (laughs) then you go to the next page. There's envy. Like something is in here. It's a, it it grabbed your attention and it, it creates even, even here, we don't hear gluttony until after we get greed. And so a lot of people going into this movie knew what was coming, but it still makes you wait for it. Yeah. Which is nice because you know it's coming, and now he gives you the list. By the way, here's everything else that's coming. Yeah. Now you're gonna wait some more. And I do, I do kind of like how it it kind of puts it in your mind of to like the fact that he gives sloth next, and sloth is the next one. It makes you then think, oh, wrath, pride, lust, envy. Like those are in your head. Is that's the order they're coming in? Um, and and so mm-hmm. you you're kind of c- counting them down as uh, as things happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's go to probably one of the more kind of talked about scenes of the film, which is the photocopying of the the various um, books and stuff, um, in particular in this gigantic library. Um, it's a wonderful kind of practic- like location that they've managed to find for this, li- to, like to dress up as a library, because I don't think this is a library. <laughs> like, no, it used to be a bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that makes sense, you know, because I think this is in L.A. This is not like... Yeah, yep. yeah. So they've got this like basically gigantic space. They've thrown a load of books in there, um, and then we do kind of get these these kind of wisecracking guards, which I was find kind of like. Also, why are there so many? This is the thing that kind of like you know, there's a whole bunch of books here. Why did we need this many guards to guard all these books late at night? Was there like a spate of like book robberies going on in like the early nineties? <laughs> that like I. That was kind of influencing Andrew Kevin Walker as he was writing the script. Like, I, it seems like such a puzzling scene, but um, at the same time, it's just one of those things that you kind of, well, certainly in the '90s, you kind of accept that, like, yeah, you know, libraries are fully funded, and therefore they have five security guards sitting around playing poker, um, doing like the night shift. Yeah. Um, My weird security note is the one security guard's name is George, right? Yeah. In the script, I don't remember if he said it in the movie, the guy scraping the name off of Somerset's door is also named George. Because the actor is George and Arlie Ermer calls him that. Yeah. And I'm like, how many Georges are in this movie? <laughs> Just like every every background character is named George. I mean, it's a it's a common name for, uh, you know, yeah. around that time. So but it's, it's like one of those rules in screenwriting that you, you don't do that. <laughs> you don't have two Georges unless there's a point. No, I mean, you 
but it, unless it's the same guy. accident, I think, because the other actor. Yeah, that's similar to to Blazing Saddles and Jones. <laughs> they were definitely <laughs> Johnson, yeah. the comic effect there, or Johnson, uh-huh. or Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I mean I like the scene because obviously you know Somers- I mean we're just kind of trying to cement the reputation of Somerset as being super intelligent. Uh, but at the same time, if he was really this intelligent, why didn't he just have these books at home? Why has he got to go to the library late at night? You know, like, it feels like, you know, this kind of person would have his own library at home. But uh, instead, he's got, I don't know, just a bed and a, a metronome and a dartboard. That's his entire... Well, because the library has all of those books. So he likes to hang out with more books than he could ever own. Yeah, although the weird thing is, it feels like he's done this before because the guards are just like, hey, well, you know, what's going on? Like... <laughs> Yeah, they call him Smiley. Yeah, like they got a nickname for him. Yeah, so, so like, how how often is he photocopying random books late at night to try and solve crimes? I could maybe understand why the other uh, police officers are glad that he's going because because if this is always, always his method is to just photocopy a bunch of books and drop them on someone's desk. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, like, like I said, that you know there were a few cutscenes where Somerset basically just like took the books to Tracy. And didn't photocopy stuff, and you know, and obviously they changed that for for simplicity's sake. Um, although he can't photocopy that much because he manages to fit it in one very small envelope that doesn't seem to be bulging or anything. So, um, you know, I don't know how much. Fo- I, I, and also, there's this weird thing where obviously it keeps jumping to the pictures, which I get for the whole thing, but it does seem like you know Somerset is spending his time photocopying these just these pictures rather than any words he's just like oh that's a nice picture I think I'll photocopy that and give it to Mills <laughs> and it just I don't know it I'm, I understand why they've done it in the film because obviously there's no point just showing me tons and tons of text being photocopied but it always does strike me as a bit funny that he seems to be photocopying a lot of pictures um you know and, and obviously we do get the you know the the guard saying you know how's this for culture and you know, he starts playing the classical music. And I, I don't know, I feel like kind of, you know, somebody researching stuff with classical music going on kind of became a bit of a cliche. Uh, but obviously this is, you know, this is kind of the first film to sort of do that. I don't recall this being like a trope before this point. Um, but yeah, just like, okay, here's here's some kind of classical music. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because obviously, you know, they drop the, you know, there's no score for this part. They go with the, the diegetic music of like everyone's listening to the back whilst either playing poker or photocopying. Um, and so it's a, it's a nice touch to kind of go to a montage, but have it be the practical music rather than the score that is um, is the actual kind of like photocopy, like for the photocopying montage. Uh, but also it kind of contrasts with the, the, you know, the opening titles, which are kind of like a montage of stuff that John Doe is doing. Yeah. Um, and it, this this kind of feels like, you know, the, the kind of counterpoint to that of like, you know, here is John Doe doing weird things and photocopying weird things and, you know, getting pictures of weird things and putting them in his notebooks. And then here is Somerset kind of doing the same thing, but, but doing it to solve crime rather than because he's a crazy person. And um, it's with pleasant music now because he's trying to fix yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. So it's, it's just it's a nice contrast, like to the opening titles, basically. Um, yeah, and and I I love the the comedy of, you know, immediately Mills gets all these books, you know, and and you know he's had this this list from uh, from Somerset of like maybe he should read this this and this, and rather than just doing that, he kind of takes the most kind of like David Millsy step of being like sending an officer to go and get him all the cliff notes for those. Yeah, he doesn't even get them himself. Books. Yeah, that's it. So I, I like I like how it's kind of setting Mills up as being somebody who, like he's not a bad detective. 
but he's just not got the patience that Somerset has for um, spending, you know, six hours in a library overnight photocopying stuff. He just goes sends a patrolman to to go and grab him some some cliff notes. And I kind of, I just, I don't know. It's such a wonderful, and they don't kind of dwell on it, but just like they throw them in the back of, you know, the back seat of the car, and you just see like the covers, and then that's it. They move on. Well, he, and he hides them in his desk drawer when he goes. In yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Otherwise, they're just, so they're, they're just you, for, you can forget about them. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He definitely he definitely doesn't want Somerset to know, but it also seems like he doesn't want like virtually anyone else to know anyone at the bookstore they wouldn't necessarily be cops <laughs> very unlikely to be cops but other people there they he doesn't want them to see him getting cliff notes yeah i which I, three or four books over here we did not have cliff notes but we had i'm trying to remember what it was now it's, just, it's been a while since i've done any studying myself there was an equivalent but it wasn't called cliff notes it was called something else was it those blue um, and, ones? You know, I can't. I can't remember. I can't even remember what it's called because it's been so long. But it wasn't. Wasn't Clifford? No. A more, no. A more British. A little more fuller. No. It was. It was. A, it was a completely different thing. But I remember. I remember getting a few of them when I was at university for um, some books that I was reading at university because I quite frankly did not have the time to be reading. I mean, you know, three or four books a week. It was just too much of a pace for me to try and keep up with. So occasionally I would kind of cheat a bit. But yeah. And then... Spark Notes. Uh, not Spark Notes, no. I can't remember what no. it was, but it was something completely different. That was the one my English teacher recommended when he, he's like, I know you're going to use Cliff Notes. Use Spark Notes instead. <laughs> They're better. Yeah, SparkNotes has got like a, an online um, an online thing as well these days. So if you if you yeah, they still exist. Yeah, if you search for like any kind of like Shakespeare quotes, normally SparkNotes is the first thing that will kind of come back, and it will give you like the lines and also give you like a modern translation as well. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, so I, I mean, I just like that touch, and also the fact that it's still raining. And you know the patrolman is like in full rain gear as well. Like it's just, it's 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 just a nice touch to be like yeah, like not every single day do you need to see it's raining, but occasionally they'll just do one scene outside each day just to show you yes it is raining. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then of course you know this is where uh, you know the, the, I love as well how Mills you know like kind of the invite that kind of Tracy forces upon him to kind of invite Somerset over when he's on the phone and he's like he's obviously you know I like when the phone rings and Somerset is like it comes with the office like that's yours now (laughs) I'm not answering the I'm not answering the phone through you know four days away from retirement get your own phone um and so obviously when he answers it he kind of answers it you know with uh, professionally and then kind of lowers his voice because obviously you know he's talking to his wife and it's not a professional call and I like how he's kind of hiding it a little bit and trying to be quiet and then eventually, obviously, you know, he kind of has to, you know, invite him to, to dinner. And it's kind of, I love the kind of reluctance of it. It's 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 such a kind of nice, it's kind of a nice, um, uh, kind of nice detail that it make it like, obviously we find out that, you know, they're basically high school sweethearts. And it's, it kind of, it, I, I don't know, I just love the way Brad Pitt acts it as like someone who is kind of embarrassed that he's, he's kind of asked this other person to dinner and he's been made to do it by his wife. But obviously they've been together for, I mean, in the script he's put at 31 and in real life Brad Pitt was 31. So, you know, they've been together for, you know, 13, 14 years, wherever it is. So obviously, you know, just like the, the fact that he's, he has this kind of macho front that he's kind of been putting on a little bit up until this point, and then he has to kind of reluctantly be like, "Would you like to come to dinner?" Like, it's, and it, it's just it's such a it's such a, a kind of a, a, a nice way to kind of show that, that. Also, once we get to the dinner scene, obviously, you know, we have the whole, um, you know, 
David, this is William, William, this is David. Like, you know, the fact that Tracy kind of acts like in this in a certain way and tries to kind of stop them from kind of, you know, being adversarial. Obviously, she's probably heard a few things about Somerset from Mills once he's got home. So she's trying to kind of smooth things over. So I, I, I just kind of love the interactions between the three of them once we actually get to the meal. What do you think that's really to try to keep them from being adversarial or just more just I don't she didn't she didn't want them to be professional so much even I mean yeah, she wants them to be they, they can take care of adversarial as well at the same time but well I mean there is the whole kind of um, you know once um, Somerset's there and he kind of takes his coat off and he's got his you know his uh, his bullet style holster and he's like I'm not going to wear it to the dinner table. Like there's, there's a there's a kind of thing of like trying to separate the professional and the personal just a little bit, um, mm-hmm. you know. And and I you know I kind I kind of like that that she is she. I mean I guess you know the whole point of like buddy cop films is there is there is a sticking point between the two, you buddies whatever whatever that sticking point is and it has to be overcome. Um, whereas here you know it like it feels like that was the original kind of intent that this would be like a buddy cop thing, but. I th- I think that Andrew Kevin Walker kind of knows that he can't he can't harp on that too much. He, like at some point they've got to cooperate and start solving the murders. <laughs> and I think having Tracy here kind of trying to smooth things over a little bit and just be like, look, you know, you're just like you don't need to be like this. Just act like two people at a meal and you know, like just talk to each other like you normally would. Um, and yeah. and kind of the whole story of how the apartment was sold to them, you know, by the the, the real mm-hmm. to kind of <laughs> not having them hang around for more than five minutes and all that kind of stuff. Which... Before we get into their dinner scene, because yes. that's got a whole different tone, I just want to point out two bits because we were talking about like foreshadowing. Things he photocopies and we see in Divine Comedy Yes, include a line, the nose cut off from just below the eyebrows. And we see that line twice up close. Yeah. And then he also looks at the illustration of Bertram DeBorn holding his own head. So you get like a beheading as well. Both things that are going to happen later in the film is the visuals, like things we get from that. Yeah. I just want to get to that before I scroll down in my notes. I'm like, <laughs> I want to get those. Well, obviously as well, like stuff like that, it, you know, the whole photocopy and montage, I doubt that Morgan Freeman is standing there photocopying everything. Um, oh, so no. it, it, it's stuff like that that obviously gives them the opportunity to just throw in little things um, to kind of foreshadow without too much uh, kind of effort. So, uh, yeah, those are kind of the more obvious ones. Uh, once you've seen the film, obviously, while you're watching it for the first time, um, you know those don't really mean anything. It's just it's just part of a montage. Um, no, because we also get arachne with like the spider legs sticking out of the woman's body. We're not getting that later. No, <laughs> no. Unfortunately, this film was not produced by John Peters. Um, so yeah, and, and then you know we get the kind of the dinner scene, which is again probably one of the more kind of key scenes. Uh, this entire apartment was built on a uh, like a gimbal that could be rocked back and forth to create the impression of trains <laughs> going by, and so uh, this was apparently something that some of the, the like some of the people they would like bring kind of guests to the set and they would put them in the set and then they would activate the kind of the earthquake effect and they would just start <laughs> shaking the entire set and with it being in Los Angeles, people would think that there was an earthquake going on and yes, yeah, so you know the, the kind of some of the people on set had a bit of fun with that. Um, but yeah, it's kind of amazing that this entire set is just, is, I mean, like to me, it doesn't even look like a set, like, you know, the difference between like the library, which is obviously a location and this set, like it's so, it's so well designed and thought out that it just looks like, you know, an actual kind of location to me. 
Um, obviously, you know, for a for an apartment that is supposedly shitty, it's quite big. And, you know, and it especially in LA. Well, the movie is not in LA, but for LA, this would be a, a super expensive apartment. The mo- I mean, the movie is not anywhere because no city is ever identified. Right. right. Um, but it it was in the script identified as Philadelphia, but then obviously they cut that out. Yeah. Um, to kind of keep it more vague. Um, and Andrew Kevin Walker wrote it while he was in New York, so um, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of cut out about um, uh, the porno district, which I feel like is meant to be Times Square, um, kind of in the, in the <laughs> early 90s. It's meant to be a bit more sleazy. So, yeah, there's... Well, there's little New York things, too. Like, uh, I think it's Tracy says something about living upstate. Like we yeah. don't say that in California. No, or or, uh, when, in, or he, indeed when in Somerset goes to the Pennsylvania, right? When Somerset goes to the library, he flags down a taxi. You don't do that in L.A. No, um, I've, I've, for a while, I'm pretty sure it was illegal. Actually, taxis couldn't just pick people up. You had to call them or get them at a hotel or airport. Funnily enough, in this country, we have minicabs, uh, which effectively are just like Uber, um, which is um, mm. people in their own cars, um, and they just you know put like a a thing on top to say which you know taxi yeah. company they, they they're part of um and you can you can't flag them down it's they, if you if they pick you up when when you flag them down it's uh, it's illegal and, they, and they're not covered on the insurance yeah um so you always have to kind of call the office but the black cabs obviously you know you can you can flag those down um they are kind of covered for that um but yeah so yeah there are a few things that kind of indicate that it's new york it was identified as philadelphia in the script but for the sake of clarity it's nowhere it's just it's just a city that is very rainy um, and and yeah. this apartment, like I say, they tell this story, which I got to say, it's a funny story, but it kind of stretches the bounds of belief that you would be able to get away <laughs> with just kind of taking. The, I mean, I, Brad, the funny thing is Mills says five minutes like, you know, he never brought us here for more yeah. than five minutes. But even in the time it would take for you to get up to the apartment <laughs> and come back down from the apartment, you're bound to have heard a train somewhere in the distance. Like, <laughs> well, I feel like that's got to be something of an exaggeration. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's more like 15 minutes. And even that, I have a problem with that because they're sitting down to dinner. They've been there longer than fifteen minutes, even let alone five, of course. But yeah, well, well over fifteen minutes. So why hasn't this story already been said? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it's less like he brought them there for five minutes, and he only yeah. brought them there for certain times of day. Yeah, like he yeah. knew when there were no trains. Yeah, that would have been a better. Mm. Yeah, but uh, you know, this is obviously Mills retelling the story and kind of using exaggerating things for comic effect. I think to yeah. kind of impress someone. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I can I can forgive it, but and also, um, you know, Brad Pitt is kind of charming in this scene, just the way he kind of tells the story and his kind of frustrations yeah. and just like how he feels like he's been duped by this kind of realtor and like it just kind of it kind of humanizes his character because up until this point he's been a bit of a kind of like you know cliche of this kind of you know the cop who whose kind of emotions are constantly simmering over and he's kind of always angry and yelling and kind of very nervous and always twitching. And in this environment, he's obviously a lot calmer and, um, you know, it's just kind of, it's just kind of fun to see him kind of interacting in a, in a more kind of human moment and just kind of telling the story. Um, And then obviously, you know, the fact that kind of Somerset just laughs at how stupid they were and they've been duped and then they all start laughing. And it's just a wonderful moment in the film, Uh, uh, you know, just, and it it cascades the laughing and it's, it's Tracy Mm -hmm. next. Yeah. And then finally, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and laughs a little bit too. Egg. But I, I need to say something about because this is the moment where he he's the most uh, uh, like his other character in uh, 
an, an, an amazing favorite of mine. I can't believe there hasn't been a movies by minute done for it yet. Uh, Twelve Monkeys. Twelve Monkeys. Yeah. You know, and, and he he's he's a great at least in these two roles. I'm not sure about others, but it's just these two roles so far in my life that I've realized he's just this great arm actor. <laughs> you know, he just he loves throwing his arms around. <laughs> You know, to to get across his frustration and his point, you know, just the, just the way he kind of like you know puts his arm up and kind of is just like when he's telling the story, he's kind of a little kind of less animated, and then he gradually gets a bit more animated, and it's like, yeah. and mm-hmm. yeah, that's something that he. I mean, he even he even does it in like um, you know the the kind of the earlier scene where it's going between him and um, and you know between Somerset Mills and the captain. And he's kind of, you know, sitting down and then standing up. And mm-hmm. then, like, his arms are kind of, you know, like, again, he's, like, kind of got this nervous energy. Um, but, yeah, he really kind of took that to the next level in uh, 12 Monkeys. Um, you know, which, uh, prob- I mean, I saw both of these films at the cinema within the space of, like, four months in 1996. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is what cemented the idea that I think, actually, Brad Pitt is a good actor. Whereas up until this point, I was like, I don't want to see any Brad Pitt films. <laughs> they're all they're all kind of terrible. <laughs> Um, and then he, you didn't love Cool World, <laughs> no. And th- and then the thing, the thing is as well, he then a few years later kind of undid all of his good work with Meet Joe Black, which is easily one of the worst films I've ever seen at the cinema. Um, like three <laughs> hours of just nothing, um, apart from when he gets hit by the car, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> it's probably one of my favorite things, you know, from all the films I saw that year was just him getting smacked with a car and then just bounce twice, I think, getting smacked with two cars and bouncing off both of them. Um, but yeah, so we, we, I mean, like after the kind of meal, you know, uh, we also kind of get a little distinction where, you know, obviously, you know, Mills is like going to get another beer and then Somerset likes, he says, you know, get me some more wine. So again, there's, you know, a little difference between their kind of approaches to even drinking alcohol. Um, and then this is where we kind of get the conversation about, you know, we see, we actually finally see kind of like the, the, the kind of the Polaroid of, of greed. And what the what the body you know the stance that the body was in, uh, which sets up nicely the fact that when we go to Mrs. Gould, who is um, I think like in a safe house or something, um, I think it's supposed to be, um, the, all the crime scene pictures that she sees, um, he's covered up with post-it notes. Um, so the yeah. fact that the detectives have seen it and we've seen what you know the kind of how he looked, um, but then you know obviously they kind of they don't they don't make force her to see it. Um, I think is a nice touch because. You, you know something that kind of happens in kind of like cop dramas these days all the time is to shock somebody they'll be like you know did you know who shot this person and then and you know they'll be like no and then they just show them a picture of the person's brains blown out and it's like why would you do that like, like that's that's kind of like you know uh whereas here you know obviously they're they're, they're being a bit more kind of um, kind of coy about the the actual you know the actual murder um and of course, you know, the kind of the deduction of the pound of flesh leads to the idea that, you know, now they've connected these sins, um, you know, kind of both of them are working together. Um, you know, they're kind of guessing that this is the same killer. And so it's nice to kind of see them, you know, a few scenes earlier, they were a bit more adversarial. But it's nice to see that after the dinner, they're kind of cooperating a little bit and trying to figure out um, what connects these these particular murders. Um, and then, of course, that leads to uh, the kind of, you know, the, Mrs. Gould noticing that the painting is upside down, <laughs> which is, I feel like this is kind of a, a commentary on, like, um, like modern art. Like, the idea that this painting is upside down, but nobody notices except Mrs. Gould, because obviously, 
you know, all it is is some uh, some like squares of paint or color or whatever. So it's like because it's an abstract. Obviously, you could hang it anyway. And well, you know what's even funnier is the way it's upside down looks right side up. Yeah, it looks like an abstracted person's face with like an eye in the right place yeah. and a nose and an ear. Yeah, and I'm like, that's not upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the artist was wrong. The artist, like, picked the wrong way around to put it, yeah. John Doe is just picky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I kind of like that it, it, it feels like a little bit of a commentary on kind of like, you know, abstracts. And it's like, yeah, of course, nobody knows which way around this painting's meant to be hung, apart from the person who probably, I don't know, paid millions for it. I don't know. I don't know how rich the goulds are meant to be. Um, but then, of course, that leads to just the wonderful kind of, you know, the, the, the lab tech coming in and... Brad Pitt's kind of like whispering, you know, have you ever seen anything, you know, like, and just like his kind of disbelief at, at what's going on. And then the the wonderful reveal of help me, um, which, again, like, could be either, you know, a statement from John Doe or a statement from a guy who has recently been starved for a year and had his hand chopped off um, and, you know, bitten his, eaten his own tongue, you know, all of, you know. So it, it, it's not, it's yeah. kind of nice that it, it has that double meaning. Um and then, like I said, we kind of get the most realistic kind of fingerprint kind of thing ever. Where <laughs> some it's funny because in the script, the the lab tech says I can see from because on the in the in the film he says like from the worlds, but in the script he said something yeah. different. Um, and obviously, I think whoever they had on on set as like a tech advisor probably said for them to change that, mm-hmm. um, so it makes it sound a bit more kind of uh, realistic. Um, and then I do like how the guy who's running the fingerprints gets kind of annoyed at the detectives because they're sitting there <laughs> trying to work out what John Doe's motivations are, what's going on with the, you know, who's committing these crimes, what the connection is. Like, they're really have, having, like, a, an in-depth discussion about, you know, what's going on with the case. And the guy just has to say, look, I've I've seen this thing take days. <laughs> like, which is, like, the most subtle <laughs> way of, like, can you both take this conversation somewhere else? Because I, I don't want to hear your kind of, like, you know, back and forth. Just take it out into the hallway away from me so I can just do my job. You're just pestering me now. Um, you know, like I've just got to sit here and watch fingerprints go by for hours. So stop, stop sitting there and waffling and just go out to the hall, sit down and be as philosophical as you want. <laughs> stop kind of doing it near me. So I just, I just love this, this lab tech kind of being like, get out of here. Like this is going to take a while, you know, like it's not a quick process. It's going to have to go through every single fingerprint in the entire database to kind of find it. Like, <laughs> It's not a two-minute job, um, as much as obviously. And, and it's not that it's not that he has to. Well, I mean, he does have to watch it, but it's not just that. It's that he he's actually clicking on things. He's doing things to help it along at certain points. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the thing you know, is with, so with fingerprint. I assume I assume there's someone else to take a sh- take take the next shift coming in <laughs> in order to have this be a. Sp- a speedier process than double or triple. Yeah, I mean, uh, but he's got the night shift. Yeah. yeah, with these detectives who just won't stop talking. Um, it's it's yeah. funny because you know, obviously, when it comes to fingerprints, you know, there are certain matches that they make based on different points of identification. I think the least they'll ever go with is like nine points of identification. But to get like a proper match, they prefer to go for something like twenty-one or eighteen points of you know to get a proper match, just so that they can. Because obviously, even with like nine you can get more than one person um as unique as fingerprints are the technology to detect them is slightly less kind of um foolproof um so i like that he's kind of adjusting that and kind of you know trying to narrow it down a little bit and you know kind of basically get 
get a kind of better reading. And obviously, while he's doing that, these two guys are just going on and on and on. And they continue to go on and on and on in the hallway where, yeah. um, you know, we've already had the story earlier where, like, the guy was, like, out for a walk and someone just, like, you know, killed him and then, like, ran off and there was no motivation. And and obviously this is kind of Somerset's most cynical kind of side coming out. Um, and then in the hallway they kind of, you know, Somerset is kind of doing the same thing of being, like, you know, what's the point of being a police officer? All we do is kind of go around and, and kind of tidy everything up after all the killings. Um, you know, if this whole thing with, you know, John Doe actually gets wrapped up, it's never going to get wrapped up. Like, you know, there's still going to be more crimes. People are going to be killed. <laughs> like his, his entire philosophy is just like, why even bother at this point? And and then, of course, I like how he's in the kind of the middle of this, this kind of like nihilistic rant where and then Mills is just like bullshit. <laughs> and I like how he kind of puts a stop to it and is like, you know, you don't you don't really believe that otherwise you would have you know given up on this job years ago like and i do kind of like that that this you know we obviously we've had a little bit of a kind of you know detente uh during the meal and they've kind of cooperated a little bit to figure out what's going on with the you know the painting and and, and all that kind of stuff so it feels like they're kind of cooperating a little bit but i do kind of like how their worldviews are still completely far apart how mills is you know kind of the good cop and um, Somerset is the kind of cynical cop about to retire, <laughs> and, and and I kind of understand Somerset's kind of point of view. Like, you know, all they are really doing is kind of picking up the pieces after everything has happened. Like, you know, they're 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 following at this point. They're just following John Doe from crime scene to crime scene, but he's already at the next crime scene, and he's already moved on. And, and you know, they're they're always one step behind him, and they're not going to solve you know this this case. Um, they're not going to get ahead of him, you know, and they, they like they basically, you know, until until they get to his apartment, they're kind of always behind. And even once they get to his apartment, they're not ahead of him. He still manages to commit two more murders before, you know, he turns himself in. So they never they never yeah. actually solve this this case. You know, like um, so in some ways, Somerset is kind of correct. You know, like they're not like the police work that they're doing is not, you know, the kind of as fulfilling as as people would think. Um, and I, I think it's a nice contrast with the fact that obviously in the next scene we have like the SWAT team come in and there's, you know, there's that side of kind of, you know, um, kind of cop movies where you have like the raid and all the shouting and people running upstairs with guns and um, all the rest of that. Um, well, the, the only other thing I'd like to point out is another Fincher movie in relation to what your, your point with uh, the technician kind of uh, pushing them along, pushing the two along is uh, my, my favorite Fincher, as I think I mentioned before on uh, Social Minute, uh, Zodiac. Yeah. And yes. uh, so uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, handwriting analysis expert, I forget his name, uh, the main one, and uh, him, uh, if you say one more word, <laughs> I, you'll be out. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he, uh, Toski says sorry or something, and then says that's one word. <laughs> out. <laughs> So at least at least this guy was a little bit kinder, you know, kind of just a little hint versus the <laughs> strict rule. Yeah, I I do like that David Fincher is like, look, these guys are doing a job. Just leave them to do their job. <laughs> like you might be the main characters in the film, but stop pestering these these hardworking people. Just leave them to do their work. Uh, Robert, your thoughts? What's well, it's a great characterization moment for the two of them too. After we've just seen them be a lot more human over dinner. Mills is still insisting on this guy's crazy. Like the voices made me do it. The dog made me do it. Jodie Foster made me do it and all that. But then 
he's listening when Somerset is going on his like cynical rant. That's why he leans in and says bullshit. He's paying attention to what Somerset says. Yeah. It's like earlier when Somerset says, says that's a line from Paradise Lost, Mills immediately writes that down. Yeah. And like he went out and got the cliff notes. He's he's paying attention. He's just a different kind of cop. Yeah. It's it's a nice moment and then they both both of them are talkers because of that though. And so they got to get kicked out of the room. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a nice i do i do kind of like as well how you know the shorthand of like you know the dog made me do it and jodie foster made me do it obviously um you know kind of recalls kind of more famous um i mean i you know uh, what's his face wasn't a serial killer you know who like um shot the president on behalf of jodie foster yeah, yeah. No. yeah so whereas obviously son of sam was a serial killer i think only in yeah. the loosest of the i don't think he actually managed to get his body count up high enough to be considered a serial killer um but still you know like it, it just kind of having those i mean it, it's very rare that this film ever indulges in pop culture references so just ha- throwing those two out quite quickly um is a bit of an oddity in this film it's it, it's rare that they bother to kind of mention any any kind of pop culture in this film because obviously that would really date the film um well yeah the scene of them talking about television got cut out yeah at dinner where they were talking about and even then it's old references they're talking about like the honeymooners yeah yeah which uh, interestingly the honeymooners only ran for one season like mm-hmm. which is kind of insane <laughs> given the amount of cultural capital <laughs> it still has um uh, but i think it followed like a but it was it was one long season though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back when they're like forty episodes or something, I think. Um, yeah, but I like it's, it's such a weird thing where like you think it would have run for like you know fifteen years or something like uh, I don't know the original Hawaii Five O ran for fifteen years or something. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of weird to to you know, but yeah, they 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 kind of don't bother dropping cultural references that much in the film, so it is kind of just to have those quick call outs. Um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, but also, like, I, f- I find it funny that, <laughs> like, I don't think, like, the, the motivation for Hinckley was ever Jodie Foster made me do it. Like, I, I kind of like how he's kind of conflating things there a little bit as well. Like, <laughs> like you know, he's just giving reasons for, for why serial killers did stuff, but he just throws this thing in of, like, Jodie Foster made me do it. Um, <laughs> which, of course, establishes that within this universe, Jodie Foster exists as a person. Um, you know, yeah. uh, so, you know, any films where Jodie Foster stars with Morgan Freeman or Brad Pitt don't exist, uh, is how I take that to, to mean, uh, yeah. So, and then, uh, we don't get it in this, this particular part of the film, but it is the opening of the next one where Brad Pitt falls asleep on Morgan Freeman. It's a, a wonderful little shot as, the, as it opens up for the next day. Um, but yeah, so that is kind of where we finish and, you know, like, I, I kind of like this kind of like the slow kind of transition. Like this is, you know, this is not like some other kind of films with serial killers and whatever from around this time period. Um, you know, obviously the, I, I feel like kind of Silence of Lambs was the film that started this off. Um, and then throughout the nineties, this kind of, you know, was quite a big thing. Um, you might argue that Son of Sam was kind of the apotheosis of that uh, or Hannibal um, was kind of like the end of really the kind of serial killer boom of the nineties. Um, but like, I like the kind of the fact that we have detective work, you know, um, you know, Mills kind of figuring out something and and Somerset figuring out something and the two of them kind of collaborating and then the, like the gradual kind of reveal of, oh, this is, you know, they've managed to figure out what's going on with this. And like, I I think it's something that kind of, you know, other films that have serial killers in want to kind of really get to the serial killing a bit too much. Whereas in this film, it is very much the detective work and kind of following up. 
and you know eventually it turns into having to wait overnight for some fingerprints to come back like that you know that's where they they end up and it's like kind of the kind of slow pace um you know or something which obviously after the next few scenes will speed up quite a bit but you know this far into the film um you know they're taking their time getting to each of the sins um and you know you might even say like you know it it's only really once we get to the next sin that we have like a, a firm framework of the fact that we're three sins in like you know the kind of discovery of the the note and the whole gluttony thing and everything that takes a little while you know that comes after greed has been discovered so you know we're we're, we're almost like 50 minutes into the film before we're firmly on the the case that yes these are seven deadly sins um you know and it's going to take another kind of five ten minutes before we get confirmation of a third one and then that's that's when as an audience member certainly i remember when i first saw the film i was that's when i was eager for whatever the next sin was that's when <laughs> that's when i was like let's let's get to the next sin let's you know like that's that's kind of the the direction you expected to go in you know like you, there's four more there's four more murders let's let's you know, let's kind of get to those murders. Obviously, uh, technically speaking, there aren't four more murders. Um, but, you know, it, that's something to be discussed in other episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think there's anything else to say about uh, this particular segment of the film. Uh, so I feel like I should go for plugs. And I will start with Robert. Is there anything that you wish to plug? Oh, I have way too many things to plug. I'll be quick. No, if you go to lemmingdrops.com, you can find all of my stuff. But I have multiple Movies by Minutes podcasts. Uh, one completed, one in hiatus. Dave Made a Minute, Michael Myers Minute, and three currently running because I'm crazy. Annihilation Minute, The Room Minute, and Mandy Sucks Minute. And I was on Dave Made a Minute to, yeah. for two minutes. And I finally just got around to watching it just before we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good. I'll have, to, I'll have to check it out again, that's for sure. And it's, it goes by quick. Um, but um, uh, mine, uh, my first one was Watchmen Minute. And I do have a quick little uh, thing in relation to this movie. Is uh, There's this idea that, uh, well, I mean, it, it wasn't, it was, you've indicated it was in the previous script that John Doe was kind of going to be in, th in it throughout earlier in the movie. You know, kind of seen doing things around, you know, as to what's going to happen. Uh, uh, around uh, uh, the, t the two detectives. Um, so that kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Rorschach, interestingly, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but uh, so you can put that, put those two and two together later on as you go through, uh, Darren. But um, so then uh, just recently, uh, uh, Feels Like Weezer has started, and that's a track-by-track -track analysis of uh, all of Weezer's catalog going going uh, chronologically. Uh, I'm doing that with Zach. And the first and the first one, Watchmen Minute, that was with uh, Travis Bowe. Um, and then uh, upcoming later this uh, fall is Almost Famous Minute. And you can find me previously as a host on roughly a quarter of As If, a uh, minute-by-minute minute podcast about Clueless, <laughs> uh, which I think you can find on Twitter as As If underscore podcast. I don't know. It's been a while since I've promoted that one. Uh, I'm not sure why you would follow it now. It finished three years ago. Um, so <laughs> thanks to both of you for being my guests here today. Thank you. Yeah. And otherwise, goodbye. Goodbye.